Happy Monday, friends, liberty lovers, all of you. Welcome back to Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire. Be sure to search and subscribe to that feed and leave me a five-star rating and a great review uh, as we expand this network, as we expand what we're doing individually. Those five-star ratings, those great reviews are a big help. Uh, today, I'm going to be speaking with my friend Andrew, another one on the long list of people I have met in person that have come on this podcast. And uh, as I've said a few times now, the number one best way to get on Lions Liberty is to hang out with me in person. And Andrew was kind enough to buy me lunch in Houston as I was driving across the country a few weeks ago on a little bit of a mission. Uh, I really did appreciate that. Of course, this was actually, we're in the time warp, in the podcast time warp. This is recorded shortly before that. So that's not really relevant, but hey, I figured I'd let you peek behind the curtain. Regardless though, very pleased to have Andrew here from Popular Liberty. Andrew, are you ready to roar? Roar! All right, Andrew. So, you know, I, for a while now, oh, it's been been quite a while, I guess, since that that first post libertarian podcast uh, came out. Yeah. And uh, I, I let's just start there. You don't like the term post libertarian. I don't think anybody really does necessarily. The people that are called it, the people that use it, but you've really focused on the term praxian. So let's just start with that. Why do you prefer the term praxian for, to describe, I guess, where you are strategically or where you are philosophically within the liberty stuff? Post-libertarian is more, it's a moment, not a movement, because, you know, this is a term that I think uh, was originally used by Curtis Jarvin to just describe people who have gone through libertarianism, comprehended it, and then moved on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they can move on to like, you know, just regular conservatism, or they can move on to, uh, you know, maybe like more like a Tom Wood style conservatism than a... uh, you know, like a, a, than a boomer con, but they could also be moving on to like the alt right, or they could be moving on to neo reactionary stuff, or you know, a whole bunch of di- a different right wing places. They never go left, you yeah, know. They, yeah, they no. never leave libertarianism to go to the left. That just doesn't happen. Right. And the uh, whereas like Praxi and I would say is like this is actually where you go. Post libertarian is just a moment, you know, that you realize that. Uh, that you know that libertarianism, as it's constructed as a thin ethical, you know, uh, uh, framework, does not work. It actually needs quite a lot more with it. And the, usually, people you know will comprehend this co- as, oh, well, you need some culture stuff too. It's like, no, nah, actually, it's quite a lot more than that. And this thing by itself does not work, and you know, could not possibly work. And you and in order to get a to the civilization that we want to go to, you know, and Kapistan or something like that, you're going to need quite a lot more. And you know, the and so you, so you could even say that there are a lot of libertarians who kind of accept the post-libertarian premise that you know you that this thing by itself doesn't work, and we need to kind of figure out why. And you know, and there there are a lot of different uh, explanations that they come up with. Praxian is m- like my version of it. Where I'm saying, hey, I think your your view of economics is incomplete. Not wrong, just incomplete. And and because of that, you're getting wrong answers. And this, yeah, you know, this is what we talked about last time with archotropism. You could even argue, in a sense, that like even if you might not agree with the the way they're doing it, or you might not think it's the most effective, even people in the Libertarian Party or the you know the Libertarian Mises, uh, Party Mises Caucus are in a sense post libertarian in in the sense that they're they're not just done with they're not just understanding the philosophy and stuck there they're understanding the philosophy and trying to do something with it now you you would probably argue that that's not the smart thing to do but that still is taking it beyond just the philosophy in a sense yeah and the uh you know whereas like with the LP Mises caucus 
like they've accepted, you know, particularly in the, uh, you know, we've gotten a lot more, I should say, you know, Faxians in the, in like the, since 2020, whereas like LP Meeskoff has been around since like 2016 or 17, something like that. And, you know, th- this was when people realized that you can't just like say non-aggression principle, you can't just, yeah, you actually have to go get some power in order to apply it, you know, and stuff like that. And the idea that, hey, we actually need power in order to enforce our beliefs has been like kind of the main major sticking point of people who don't like post-libertarians because, you know, or Praxians, as, as I should say, is that we want, we're saying, hey, we need power. and. You, there's no other option. We are not going to be able to just uh, have a popular democratic movement that wins hearts and minds. And you know, because let's face it, the state does not care about hearts and minds. They do not. And they, they, I mean, they were happy to just lock us all in our homes. And a lot of people, they kind of took one look at this and they said, "More, please." Yeah. And, uh, and so it's like it, you're, you're this basic premise that people have that oh everyone's kind of just a liber- libertarian we're all living in like a they're all living effectively libertarian lifestyles this is just not true what they're actually doing is outsourcing their predation to professionals like this is specialization and division of labor this is not people living peacefully and you know and when, when we saw this in 2020 that was when like kind of the, the Damn broke for a post-libertarian for the post-libertarian moment, and you had a lot of people come in and say, "Yeah, okay, if liberty if liberty is ever going to happen, the irony of it is probably going to have to be enforced because people don't want it. They don't want it. They they want the predation, and they, like they are paying for a service for someone else to go out and predate against you for, on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And this is like basically incontrovert incontrovertible in light of 2020. Like if you had said this in 2019. I could understand how I would get pushback for it. Post-2020, I'm like, you're just not living in reality if you don't accept that at least a solid 40% of the population are like real predators. 40% easily. And it's probably higher. And because let's face it, you know, it's like, a, like about 40% were just hardcore lockdowners. And then there were a whole bunch more, bunch more like more moderate lockdowners and stuff like that. And, you know, like where, like, where was the right... On, on uh, uh, I understand. Hey, where was the right? Where was the Republican? Well, maybe not the right, but like the Republican Party, because there were a lot of right wingers who were like, "No, we we don't want any of the statism or anything like that." There, they were a lot of good ones out there, a lot of them. But there were others who were who were like, "Hey, you know, do, do we want the bailout to be you know six hundred dollars or twelve hundred dollars in, right. in paychecks?" It's like that was the the scope. If you're of the conservative, you'll only argue for six hundred dollars a person. <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah. And, you know, those were more like, uh, you know, your moderates or whatever. And so, but you weren't, they weren't like the hardcore lockdown anywhere. Oh, you may, maybe we should have like a partial lockdown or something like that, or maybe just some restrictions or, you know, maybe some mask, some masks or something like that. And, you know, there were more moderate positions, but let's face it, those moderate positions are still like serious impositions on, you know, on our liberty. And, we have to contend with this fact that not only are we badly outnumbered by people who really do not want liberty, like we're at, you know, we are outnumbered by people who are really actively opposed to it. That is a difference. That is a, a, indeed a difference. Yeah. So if we're going anywhere, like, and by the way, they're in the wrong. We're not. They're in the wrong. You know, so this, this is an aggression. So we're not even talking about like aggressing against people now. We're talking about playing defense and saying that, hey, that, you know, we're going to need to use power against these guys. And the only way to legitimately use power in our system is using the state. 
And that doesn't make it right, but it, it, it does make it real. So, you know, where I come from is that uh, libertarians need to seize power. And I mean, that starts with like at the local level and seizing that kind of power and building your way up to the state level. And the federal government's kind of a lost cause. I don't, I don't think there's any point in trying to go after Washington. Yeah, well. Well, that speaks to, I think, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on to talk more about your specific strategy. I mean, there there are I think the criticisms come in broad brushes like it's the the same criticisms are directed at you, at though, at Pete, as if you're even the same persons with the same ideas in the first place, which you're not. You all have different, slightly different ideas about things and, and slightly different strategies that you're, that you're pushing forward. But they all seem to share one thing in common is that they're not addressing your actual strategies and your actual criticisms. Because what I hear, the most common thing I hear is like, oh, you're going to go take over the GOP now? Oh, did you see? And they'll even mention things like you did. Like, you know, the GOP didn't save us from the lockdowns, the GOP this, the GOP that. Um, so that's why I want you to really focus. I'm saying I want to save us from the lockdowns. My argument is I'm going to do it and my people are going to do it. Not that we should rely on other people to do it. We should stop. You know, I'm saying we should stop outsourcing our defense to other people because that's effectively what you guys have been doing. Or what, what you know, libertarians have been doing for what, 70 years now. So let's, let's get into the specifics then. Where, where do you think is the best place to start in, in terms of discussing your strategy and, and specifically differentiating it from the idea that you're that the prime? And of course, if this happened, it would be wonderful. If you if somehow you turned the Republican Party into this, you know, bash into libertarianism and they were always talking about Mises and Rothbard. Yeah, that would be awesome. But I think that's at, at best. <laughs> yeah, that, that's at best like a dream that could happen maybe as a result of a lot of other things changing, but it's not the strategy that you though, or anyone else puts forward. So why don't you just dig into your specific strategy? Yeah. Uh, I have, you know, two or three major strategies will go and will go in order. Basically all of them are localism and a mixture of lobbying. The, uh, you know, the, the localism aspect is basically twofold because number one, you know, we are a small caucus with limited funds. And if you want to help us with fund any of this, you know, MisesGOP.com forward slash donate, please donate monthly. It helps a lot, even just small amounts. But the idea that we're going after is that, hey, we, you know, we can use the Republican Party to uh, get elected to local, to a lot of local offices that have very real power and that very, and that nowadays really, really matter to people all of a sudden. And like, uh, particularly in like the school board elections, which are you know, some, they're often partisan and sometimes not. sometimes they're not. In Florida, they're not partisan. In Texas, they are partisan. And the, uh, so in other words, like, it, you, like, if they're nonpartisan elections, you would not have, you would not have like an L next to your name or an R next to your name or a D next to your name. And that, and that makes it very difficult to identify, uh, you know, who's who. And so like in Florida, we still get a lot of, uh, you know, kind of liberals in the school system because people can't identify them quickly. So do you, do you see it as a benefit when there is an identifier or, or cause I mean, a lot of libertarians will say like, Oh, well, we, we always win these races. The, the races we win are the ones where there's no identifier because, cause they don't know where these libertarians. So cool. So it doesn't have a perfect solution for them, by the way, that, you know, what you, what you really need in your, uh, and you can do this like kind of through your, at least at the local government for nonpartisan elections is that since the local government can't, you know, can theoretically control its own, its own elections and, and its own ballot printing, what I would do is to say, is to say that, all right, if you want to get on, you know, I would just pass an ordinance at the local, at the local level that says, if you want to get on the ballot, you have to agree to a certain maximum amount of taxes per person that you will, uh, that you will allow. And that number is going to appear next to your name on the uh, on the ballot because that's a real price mm -hmm. that's a price now because the problem with like letters 
So it doesn't really tell you anything about what they believe. Whereas like a number actually communicates real hardcore information that about this is the amount. And if, by the way, and they vote over it, they go, if they go away from that, then they can't get back on the ballot. Mm-hmm. So, so by doing this, by the way, you know, remember how the, the market usually works? Lowest price usually wins. In theory. <laughs> so, and, 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 and let's think about, about it like logically. Uh, how, how well do, uh, like, uh, you know, how much does you know, enforcing natural rights really cost, which is what libertarians want to do and what conservatives nominally want to do? Yeah, you know, how much does that usually cost? Very little. So, substantially less than like the Democrats who are like, oh, yeah, it's like we can't wait to spend all your money for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like if I, t- if I just like give you three numbers and, the- and I tell you that these are like tax rates, and I tell you one of them's 10%, the next one's 18%, and the next one's 75%. You should be able to tell me which one of them is the libertarian, the Republican, and the Democrat, just from that number. Yeah, I think I think that's right. That's pretty clear. Yeah. So by putting those numbers, and, and again, because lowest price normally wins, you know, this gives libertarians an advantage because all we want to do is defend your natural rights, and that's kind of cheap. So this would be one of the uh, local government actions that I would try to a- a- attempt through the GOP. Why? Because this is going to help the GOP and screw over the Democrats, which is you know exactly what you're supposed to do in team sport politics. Because now, I can, because now the Republicans are nominally going to be thinking, oh, yeah, we want to do a lot less. And, you know, the, uh, and, you know, we're ar- and they're going to be arguing uh, you know, for price because they'll, they'll think that they're the lowest price. And realistically, they are because it means this GOP is running in the race. <laughs> and, the, uh, and our guys are going to want to have quite, quite substantially less taxes. So, you know, lowest price usually wins. And, you know, I, I would love to give us the extra leg up just like that. And there are you know, a whole bunch of, uh, so like, how would I get people elected? Well, that's what I'm raising money for right now. Because local, local elections are, you know, particularly in rural areas, are generally very cheap. Like in my hometown of, you know, Orange, of uh, Florida in Lake County, the, you know, the mayor of my hometown got elected in 2020 for 200 bucks. Wow. That was, yeah, that was a little, that's a little bit of an outlet. That was his actual budget. Yeah, that was his actual spending was 200 bucks. For a town of fourteen thousand people, and he probably didn't even need, need the two hundred bucks. I'm assuming he's the kind of guy that everyone in town knows, and you know, he probably could have kept the two hundred. Maybe I don't know. Well, I mean, this, usually what it is is it's a few yard signs uh, to just get your name out there, and some tennis and a pair of tennis shoes to you can just knock on the doors. It's literally like like eighty bucks of that is probably tennis shoes. And a I would suit be from about a, that. a suit from Ross Dress for Less or something. like yeah, I mean, you don't even need a suit. I mean, not, yeah, not in Florida, God. God yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> it's way too boring. no one's making a door to door in a suit in Florida for long. No, <laughs> no. And uh, but the, you know, but that's a little bit of an outlier. But usually, the ele- elections in like rural red state areas are they run in the like you know one thousand, two thousand, three thousand you know do- dollar amounts. You know, and so when you have prices like that, you know, when I say that. You know, I just average it out to like two thousand. You know, if I have like two thousand dollars per uh, per candidate that I'm putting towards them, that's basically a lock. You know, as long as they're you know they are knocking on uh, they're just knocking on doors and you know because you know what you do is you use it to like you can buy data with it and you can t- say okay those are the Republican doors and I need to you know go knock on those to get the base out mm-hmm. because these are so, these election turnout rates are like 10, 15, 20 percent. So if you just get the base out and you, and they're coming to the election anyway to vote, all you need to do is just get the get your base to check the box for you and you're done. Because otherwise, they, most people they just don't even complete the ballot. So all you need to do is get the people who are already going to vote to complete the ballot for you, and that's it. You win. 
And it's a, so you don't even, you don't have to go convince moderates. You don't have to go convince Democrats. All you have to do is is get the uh, the Republican base to just go for you, and you win. So th- this kind of strategy, I imagine, would only really work in a in a place where it's already a, a GOP place. It's already a red city. It's already a red state. It's probably a shoe in that the GOP candidate is going to win. So it's it's more about why that the, this person from Mises GOP, the person with this strategy, should be that candidate, and then it's kind of just sailing in. Effectively, yes. And the, you know, and what people have figured out a lot, it particularly it, you know, particularly since 2020, is that it really matters who's enforcing your laws because if your local government is like, yeah, cute mandate Biden, we're not enforcing it. You know, it's like it's basically a letter to Santa. I mean, this is one of Michael Malice's best quotes: is that you know, like it, when politicians write these laws without without the cops, they're basically letters to Santa, and. You know, so if I'm the one controlling the cops, you know, I'm the, and they follow orders no matter what, I really want a libertarian giving those orders. It's like, it's not that you want cops, you know, it's not that you're, that you're not like pushing for privatization. It's that, you know, it's that you recognize what's doable and you, you can all agree on what the goal is, but you have to also agree on like what's doable right now. And people really want uh, people in charge of them who are not going to be giving those totalitarian orders. They're not going to see COVID com- coming and be like, yay, we get to bail out the bankers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because th- I mean, that was Washington's first reaction. Like, oh my God, a deadly disease, quick, bail out Wall Street. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you, and, uh, and so, so, or, or, you know, they, they don't want those kinds of people in charge. And now that, you know, all those kids came home and they started seeing, parents started seeing what their kids were actually learning. And they're like, holy fuck. Yeah, like boy, are they royally pissed? Because with Pete, with a lot of like right wingers, particularly, they're willing to take the bullshit from the left. They're willing to take the wokeism, you know, as you know, at work in order just like the sacrifice for the kids. You know, this like I'm taking the bullshit so I can you know provide for my family. Mm -hmm. The moment they the wokeism comes after their family, now that's a different story. It's like because now that's the thing I'm sacrificing for, and and now and now you just cross a real hardcore red line. And I see this as an opportunity. Our enemies have overstepped. It's time to uh, purge the curriculum, so to speak. It's like, you know, see, you know, of course you should you know, push for homeschooling and you should push for, you know, private schooling and all that. You know, that's, that's all good, but we don't have that kind of power. And the power we can get is curriculum control. And because that's at the school board level, that's done at the school board level usually. And one thing I would love to do is say, all right, you're going, you know, so, so uh, it's been said that we're going to be teaching socialism in schools. Here's your new textbook. It's socialism by Mises. Socialism. Exactly. And here's your new civics textbook, Anatomy of the State by Rothbard. <laughs> short, <laughs> it's like, yeah. short civics class, but yeah. <laughs> Great, as a great, great civics class, a whole lot to learn, and, uh, and then we'll follow what it, follow it up with hopeless democracy. So, you know, it's like they'll know all about how democracy sucks, <laughs> and uh, you know, be, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's like, hey, that indoctrination game, who can play that game? And you know, and I'm more than willing. And you know, there, and you know, when I, and I when I put this out on Twitter on the Mises GOP account, I was like baffled. And how many people from like the LPMC were coming in and saying, no, that's statism, that's wrong. You're not allowed to do that. And I'm just like, 
where are these people coming from? And, you know, like even when I, when I talked to Dave and I put that idea out, he, he was like, oh, of course, yeah, that's like a no-brainer. Of course we should teach, teach Ross, right? So, like, I don't even know where all, the, all, the, all these other people are getting it because their leaders definitely don't believe that. And, like, Dave definitely doesn't believe that. And, uh, and I'm like, it, it, it just seems like such a no-brainer that, hey, we're being taxed. We don't have a choice in this, ma- in this matter. Mm-hmm. You, know, and, and, you know, like, obviously, we, we would, you know, all homeschool and private school if we could, but we can't. So, you know, we should do something about it. So we, so, and they're, you know, feeding uh, kids this garbage. They're trying to turn kids into, like, leftist soldiers for the revolution. So it's like, of course, we should stop this. It's like, it's not enough that, you know, uh, your kid isn't being turned into a leftist revolutionary. Like, we don't want any leftist revolutionaries. None of them should exist. It's like, certainly not children. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's something we should all agree on. And, you know, hey, if they're going to be getting an education, you know, that, you know, then it might as well be a libertarian education. And, yeah, I mean, that's something I strongly believe in, particularly from the Austrian tradition, like, you know, enough, enough of Cato, enough of, you know, we don't, we don't need Cato, we don't need reason. You know, uh, the Mises Institute has all kinds of uh, excellent materials that I, you know, 100% stand behind. These should be, and they're free too, so we can save money and lower taxes at, taxes at the same time by saving on expensive textbooks. You know, I'm sure that will make the, the textbook providers really happy, but... Oh, well, fuck obviously like this all sounds great. Like it sounds great. If you could just get some guys elected, some good libertarians in the, in the GOP guys to, uh, you know, be elected to school boards and such. But what about the pushback? You know I mean? It, it, I don't think it's necessarily going to be as easy. What, what about even in a small town where you could presumably win with a couple hundred bucks? And you know, what about when you, st- cause even in a small town, you have the, the, the old boys clubs, the, the, you know, the, the networks of people that want to protect their position. So how do you deal with where maybe you got 500 bucks, 2000 bucks, whatever it might take to win. But the old boys club says, yeah, but this is our club. So. Yeah, you're going to, yeah, this is where you start needing to network. And the U and we actually do need to be pushing our ideas. This is something I, you know, I couldn't admire Tho Bishop anymore than what he than what he does with the Republican Party. Because what he does is he sets up meetings for the Republican Party as as its uh, vice president of Bay County, Florida. And yeah, you know, he uses that position and that platform in order to just set up meetings where he can just basically read Rothbard people and. And the Republicans like, yeah, this guy Rothbard sounds great. Yeah, oh, we love him. <laughs> it's like they've never heard of him before. They have no idea that he's an anarchist, and you know, they're not going to mention it. But you know, but when they hear the you know, Rothbard, particularly '90s Rothbard, talking, they're like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense. Of course, you know, of course, it works that way. And and so, like, when you are you know engaging with those good old boys clubs, what you really need, and this is something that so makes. The, the point he makes all the time, which is excellent, about Andrew Jackson, that you know, I mean, that the or or like even Ron DeSantis, who's kind of like the second Andrew, and the reincarnation of Andrew Jackson, where you know, he, like what they do is you get the people behind you, it's like the people, the voters, they're with you, and it's, and you like almost create a cult of personality around yourself, and because you are out there pushing, and you see Anthony Sabatini in Florida doing the same exact thing and i can tell you right now he has all of lake county with him in lockstep and they are never going to get to uh to get to uh to uh you know vote him out because now they because now they have a real fighter who's like who actually knows his stuff and is not afraid they will absolutely like they are with him to the end and so that, so that's how you defeat the, the good old boys club is you, know, you get is like 
once you end power, you use that platform. Like, exactly the same way Phil Bishop did, the way Andrew Jackson did. I'm, yes, I am using Phil Bishop and Andrew Jackson in the same sentence because <laughs> they deserve to be. <laughs> and uh, but the, you know, and you get the people behind you, and and you use them as like a billy club to, to beat the good old boys over the head with. And you and you say, hey, it's my way or my way. <laughs> Your choice. So it's is it almost like just get into power first, sneak in, and then rally that base by being the fucking man, you know, by by doing just doing and doing and doing everything that they're gonna want to see you do. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you do. And there's all kinds of, of things you can do that will really get the people on your side, you know. And you know, and but and uh, and by the way, that's how I would start shoving a lot of uh, the policies that I really want through, like privatization, like you know. Pete and I talk all the time about Hoppe's what must be done strategy, which is basically get elected to the local government and privatize it. <laughs> like privatize everything. And and you know, and one of the things he uh, the Hopper proposes, which I was shocked I got pushback on on this as well. That you know, when, when I said that, oh, we should limit uh, you know the uh, any like any bill that comes through that wants to raise property taxes for people needs to be voted on by only property taxpayers. So only only property owner. It seems like a no brainer because they're going to be like, of course I'm not voting for that. <laughs> it's like you know, it, it really just seems like a no brainer. But I get all kinds of pushback on pushback it. Pushback from like, libertarians. Libertarians on the Mises GOP account. When I say stuff like that, and they're they're like, no, what you need to be doing is pushing for like full abolition. And I'm like, okay, wow. but you know, let's get back to reality where this is not possible. And it's like, you know, like, like at least not yet. Is like I would love for it to be, but we're just not there yet. And I do have a plan for that, by the way. But you know, that's going to take some time. And but the the uh, you know, and you know, by the way, there was uh, one uh, place that Reason magazine, Reason, uh, you know, on their YouTube page, they actually did a really, really good you know thing for once. Yeah, you know, where they they had an expose of Sandy Springs, Georgia, which is known as the town that privatized everything that did just that, and. Granted, they were formed that way so that they, you know, naturally privatized everything. But the, the you know, from the get go. But the uh, but how they did it is actually a really interesting way that I think we should, you know, that's a way we could follow. That if you are in a uh, they, like they were a part of Atlanta, Georgia, they did not want to be a part of Atlanta, Georgia. They managed to get themselves extricated from Atlanta, Georgia, and then and then you know they formed their own municipality that way. And then when they form their municipality, they're like, okay, we're, we're going to start by privatizing everything except the police. And there's also a whole bunch of other, like, uh, you know, private uh, cities in the United States, like the Village of Florida. It is, a, you know, it is not a municipality. It is, it is, like, owned by a private corporation. It is, like, an entire, like, large segment of land in Sumter County, which is entirely private. And you know, and the uh, and it's a it's a like old folks place. So basically, it's like a fifty-five and up co- uh, covenant community. Mm-hmm. And the and it's also the uh, the, uh, the U.S. capital for STDs because everyone is over fifty-five, so they can't get pregnant, and they have bottomless supplies of vials. Is that true? <laughs> STD capital of America. That so you know, details. <laughs> hilarious, frightening, and. <laughs> Gross <laughs> and super gross, actually. Yeah, <laughs> this is what you come to me for, Mark. I mean, STDs are already gross, but <laughs> this is the liber- this is the sort of libertarian community I envision. <laughs> so the, yeah. the villages with maybe some younger people and less STDs is kind of what we're looking. Yeah, at. hopefully less STDs. 
And because of that, no taxes. And this is where I did my internship at Merrill Lynch. It was, uh, you know, it was in the villages. Mm-hmm. And the reason that, that I think that's a really... You must have been cleaning up in there, huh? Just... Well, actually, it was, it was great. I mean, like those guys, you know, all that retirement money. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the thing about the villages that like the Florida legislature really likes is that they vote two to one Republican mm-hmm. because these are mostly Northern Republicans who move down and they want to, you know, have a, you know, a very well affordable, uh, you know, war, you know, warm and well affordable retirement. So you move to Florida with no income tax. And now because you're in the villages, no local tax either. And so the, uh, so, the, so yeah, they, they move that they move there in order to like maximize the retirement savings, but in the process, they vote two to one Republican and they donate more importantly, three to like three to one Republican. So the Florida legislature loves them and they all watch Fox news. So they're nice and non-threatening. So it's basically boomers and golf carts and Republican voters who love Fox news. It's like, this is perfect for them. And this is like the sales pitch I would take to the Florida legislature for saying why you should let us do this with a whole bunch of other municipalities. Because we want to attract these boomers with, with their dollars and their Republican votes. You know, Republican dollars, Republican votes in a Republican state, you know, makes sense to a Republican legislature and a Republican, you know, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, who is a populist and understands a good idea when he sees it. Would this strategy entail kind of just first finding the community or certain property owners getting together in a certain community to the point that they already have, like, the support to do this? And then essentially just bringing that to the legislature, playing like, hey, look at the villages. Can we do that too? We'll vote for Republicans. That's kind of the basic idea behind my anti-tax. You know, is this is a way to do that to where I can make this villages model even better? Because with the villages, uh, with the villages model, it really is like a kind of a, a special economic zone where there is no taxation, not not anti-taxation, no taxation. Whereas, like you know, I've talked about this. Uh, I think a little bit on the last time. I'm not sure if I did, but. My my idea of the anti-tax is how would you if you were going to fund a government how would you do it without taxation of any kind like not even user fees mm-hmm. yeah and the uh, the idea what was that that uh, hey you have nineteen thousand five hundred local governments in the United States you know that's like municipalities local and by that that's what I mean by local government there's also like school boards and other stuff like that we're not we're not talking about that right now but as far, as far as municipalities are concerned they all have. Uh, Every one of them is supposed to have around about eight to fourteen months of taxes already collected on hand as like kind of a buffer for in case you know the sales tax doesn't do well or something like that. And usually, yeah, it's about eight to fourteen months worth of taxation. So, do do you find that? Do you know like do most? I know they're supposed to do that. Do do most municipalities actually do that, or they just like do it yes. on paper? Yes, because they're they're kind of required to by law, and and so the. Uh, at least, at least in like Florida and Texas, I know they, I know they have to. So the idea, and uh, so the uh, you depend depending on size, they're really, really small. They might not have to, but you know that you're talking like less than five thousand people or something or something like that. You know, really small municipalities. You know, but so the if you're like a you know fourteen thousand like you know where I was in you know Lake County, Florida, you know that's a. Uh, yeah, that that's you, know, you definitely have to, and you definitely have those reserves on hand. I know because I've checked the uh, I've checked their balance sheets. So what I propose to do with that is, right now by law, they're not supposed to be uh, you know investing that money you know in anything that generates a, a, a decent return. So they're allowed to put it in, into like CDs and T bills, and and uh, if they're getting really aggressive, they're allowed to, to the most the riskiest asset. 
that they're allowed to put it into is like uh, bonds from the state of Israel. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and that's like the one exception. It, it sounds like a joke you would have written, but it's actually it's not. I guarantee it's not. Israeli bonds. Wow. Yeah, it's like the it's like the one you know you know like even kind of non ultra safe asset. You know, it's a, feeling lucky tonight, Bruce. Yeah, Israeli bonds. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you know, my and so I would go to the state legislature and. But, you know, my proposal with the anti-tax is, well, what if we actually put that into like a, like a, an actual pension plan or something like that? And we created a passive income stream for these local governments that could take the place of, of uh, taxation. So, you know, as compounding interest grows, the fund grows larger, they can, uh, you know, and again, this is all taxes that have already been collected. So you don't necessarily have to raise taxes for it. I do advocate raising taxes for it, but yeah, that's a different reason. So what happens to this money now? It just sits somewhere not collecting interest? It just sits in like some yeah. some account, like a, check, a checking account? Or yeah. What? I mean, no, it collects inflation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, even worse. Yeah, like, value, not, right? only is it not, not only is it collecting like virtually 0% interest you know, APR every year, it's collecting inflation at like 79% or you know, whatever it actually is right now because we all know the, full, the Fed bullshits its numbers. So right now is like you you have a guaranteed loss for the taxpayers guaranteed and my idea is well, okay the stock market grows at about an average of 10% a year some of that's a little bit you know, and the volatility is greatly overstated and even if and uh, what the pension plans do is called diversification to where you have a whole bunch of asset classes that are completely uncorrelated like the stock market and the housing market are just they're not correlated you know that like one does not affect the other if, if the stock market goes down Nothing can happen. You know, the, the real estate market is just like on effect. So they, they will get, they will just spread all of their money out over these uh, uncorrelated asset classes in order to get like no volatility. So you earn about, uh, you earn a little bit less that way, but you have substantially lower volatility to where like a stock market crash does not impact anybody. Like it, it, it does not impact the teachers at all. And so you, and so as long as you can keep that, and they usually earn like six, like six, seven, eight percent a year just by that, by that. You know, like basically like clockwork to where they're, they, you know, a, a, a crash doesn't affect them. And, you know, the, uh, and everyone gets their money and there's no volatility. There's no panic or anything like that. So, so you escape the, you know, the fear uh, of the market that way. So the, so like if you, but if you're investing it, so it's like, let's say you only take like 3% out a year. So you're just like covering inflation or something like that. You know, that's still a real cut. You know, that now the people don't have to pay for inflation every year. That's a big deal. And particularly because inflation's been so low for the past few years because we're at the end of a debt super cycle. But, uh, you know, as a, you know, I, again, that's a little bit dated. But now, but now that, you know, there is real inflation, now we have a real argument for saying that, okay, now, you, now by having uh, these state laws, which were written 70 years ago when, uh, or actually longer than that, they were written a long time ago when interest rates were substantially higher, so the laws actually made sense. Mm. You know, but like when they were written, the laws made sense because the interest rates were so much higher and they were way above inflation. Sure, yeah. This is not the case anymore. And now, the, the, now these same exact laws that were good back then are not good anymore, and they're guaranteeing the taxpayers losses every year, heavy losses every year. And so what, well, what we should do is take this concept of, hey, we should be allowed to create sovereign wealth funds mix it with this concept of uh, of the villages and special economic zones and you know in order to attract all of these uh, all of these boomer republicans who love fox news you know down from uh these you know shithole blue states that you're very familiar with 
And the, yeah, it's like, we, you know, and, you know, they don't have to be boomers. They can be like, went from the re lockdown or, or Mark player. <laughs> yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, we would love to have young guys too. I'm and, only 14 yeah. away, 14 years away from qualifying for the villages, but maybe I won't need to wait that long. <laughs> if you can get one of these in place, I won't need to wait that long. <laughs> exactly. And that, you know, with this idea, with this idea, like now we can, you can take this idea to them. So, so now the, uh, the governments are, are not losing out on any money anymore. Because with the anti-tax, they don't have to. They don't have to cut taxes anymore. Now there's a real disconnect between taxation and spending. You know, direct taxation that is, and the uh, and so this idea that because now because the anti-tax is a real pro- is productivity. You know, and the government instead of being like fully predatory, is like slightly you know productive. You know, at least not or I should say not fully counterproductive. <laughs> You know, now, now that they're in this status, you know, hey, this is this is you know money that the taxpayers do not have to pay, and so you get the you, so you get the benefit of of uh, you know government for free basically, and you know again no 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 not, no no free lunch you know we're not we're not going that far but for the but but by taking this presentation to the state government we can get laws changed that make it a lot easier for us to start privatizing these things and and saying hey. We, you know, we're because we're not selling them, you know, libertarian and Kapistan anymore. We're selling them boomers and golf carts. Right. So are you, are you specifically because they already have one of these in place, essentially focusing on Florida first for that reason, because it's already here. You don't need to imagine it. We already have this. They're like my number one target because they have everything is ready to go there. And you know, but but I, you know, I would never limit it to Florida. But the I, but uh, Florida certainly certainly my number one and you target. Got people pouring in, like you know, me and Clint, top lobster, like oh, yeah. like the kind of people that yeah. like, live in the kind of community like this. Oh, top lobster! He just moved to the you know, just by chance to like just a few miles away from where I from where I grew up. Ah, yeah, yeah, he's right outside of Orlando, I believe. Yeah, like Ocala. Yeah, that was real close to where I lived. I had like like maybe ten minutes, and so. The uh, you know, oh, hey, you need to watch out for the bears and wolves and snakes and alligators and uh, all that other stuff that a uh, city boy. And all the wildlife, yeah. Stay inside, but otherwise, otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Some of the guy from the Bronx isn't kind of know about, about that. He, you know, he's really good at navigating the hood, but the uh, the the these are different kinds of wild animals. Yeah. <laughs> so, we have animals in both, but <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, but the, the, but once we can implement these ideas anywhere because let's you know we know how tax competition works uh, you know basically if you look at like a a, a geographic map of uh, or i should say a political map of the united states and you you know plot out all of the uh, uh ta- you know municipal tax rates you know or even count this works with county tax rates and school board tax rates as well that if you plot them next to each other they don't differ that much like they're they're usually pretty close to each other. What and the reason is because it's really easy to you know, uh, to move four or five miles in one direction and get a completely different tax status. You know what I mean? Right. And so the idea and so that's why they have to keep them relatively similar. You know, and of course, you know, there's spending that goes along with that because you're again you're creating value for the customers or really the voters, so to speak. But you know that. But because there's nineteen thousand five hundred of them, uh, you know, municipalities and over three thousand counties in the United States. You know, because of that, there's so much competition forces that actually make it work and actually keep you know, keep the the value prospects relatively similar. So what happens? But you know, when you implement an anti-tax and a tax-free society, you know, and a you know kind of this uh, this villagization of, of of Florida, what would happen is that 
now I, now that I've you know, because there's competition forces, now everybody has to do it. So not so I can get you know basically all of Florida for the price of just a few. Uh, you know, but, but you know when we if we implement this, you know basically we can let comp- we can let competition forces do all of the heavy lifting for us because if the other people don't, you know then they're going to lose all of their voters who are going to move out of their out of their cities out of their towns and then they lose their power. They don't want that. So better so better that they adopt these policies, you know, willingly without us having to get elected. You know that you know then uh, having to either fight us for it, which is they're not going to win. And or they have to, uh, you know, or just not doing it at all. So you know, and but and once Florida does it, you know, other other Republican states are going to be looking at that like, should we? And the blue states are definitely going to be looking at that like, oh fuck no, <laughs> because you know, like like a, a going from thirteen percent tax income tax rate to zero in you know from California to Florida. Is re- is really really something, you know? And but imagine going from from like thirteen percent to like negative thirteen percent, yeah, because that's because we in Florida we have a property tax that kind of takes the place of an income tax. But imagine that was just not there at all, you know? So you know, so like you would be going from like thirteen percent to like negative thirteen percent. That's a huge draw. And so and the way I and the way you would that, so again, this is only for the local government. So how would you extend this to like your school board, your county, to your state, etc.? Well, you would just go to them and say, hey, how about you get in on this? You know what I mean? Uh, you, you would say that, hey, you know, how about you, know, you put a direct substitution tax on this anti-tax fund? We'll let you do it. We'll give you a cut of it every year that goes towards substituting for my other school board, county, state level taxes, et cetera, et cetera. And so now you could, you know, by doing it that way and, and by centering the, the fund, down at the uh, at the, the sovereign wealth, uh, wealth fund uh, down at the local level, and simply instituting direct taxes onto it, you know there are that again take the place for other taxes for other taxes. You could theoretically get to a zero tax state, and that's a huge that's a huge thing. Now, but you know again, you know, so like okay, well, what do you what do you do about, what do you do about spending? You know, I'd say uh, my first thing I would say is. This is a revenue solution, not a spending solution. We still need to get republic, you know, libertarians and all that elected for the spending side of the equation. But the uh, but for local governments, it's a little bit easier because you can you know institute this law that says, hey, if we're giving you these special privileges to take these you know, risks on behalf of the taxpayer and all that, then you need to give them some certainty that the risk is going to be worth it, and you're just not gonna, and that you're not going to just raise taxes on them later. So you would say like, okay. You, you maybe just give the voters like a veto over taxes or something like that, that, uh, you know, at the state level or something like that, that if they're going to accept this, then, you know, they have, then the local government has to like promise that they're not going to raise spending. And if they do, they have to run it by the ta- taxpayers and put it on a ballot referendum or something like that. And that would be your way of controlling it. And so I don't think we'd ever be able to do straight up prohibit it. That would be nice, but, you know, let's be realistic. You know, just instituting any sort of control mechanism to where they at least have to run it by the voters or preferably the property, the property taxpayers. Yeah, you know, first, that would be the uh, that would be you know, a pretty reasonable solution. I think they would go for it. And that, you know, and so you so once you have something like this in, in there, you know, hey, competition forces are still a real thing. And you're going to start and then you can and you can go to other states and say, hey, if you don't, you know, by the way, like Florida and Texas, they have a really 
asshole kind of program. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a real dick move to do to other states where you, you get your governors, you get all your decision makers together in one room, and you uh, send them to other companies in other states to their boardrooms and say, hey, if you move your company from state X to my state in Florida or Texas, you know, then uh, we will give you a special tax break. Mm-hmm. So this is something that they actually already do, yeah. you know, without the anti-tax. And by giving them the anti-tax, I'm giving them a much better way of doing it. <laughs> much, much more effective, much more efficient. And, and so the, uh, they already have this kind of mentality where they try to, like, you know, steal businesses from other states. And so, you know, I'm giving them a substantially better way of doing it and is doing something they were already doing. And so, you know, that like there other states are going to have to like, do we need to implement this just so that we stop Florida and Texas from stealing all of our, our all of our businesses? The answer is yes, of course they do. And so if you can just get Florida, you can get all of the other red states too. You're never going to get the blue states on it. This is not for this is not for urban areas. If you're if you're living in any place controlled by Democrats, your solution is move. Yeah. You know, like that, like I, I'll just this go straight to work in uh, Los Angeles or this will San not work in LA. or New will York. Not work there. Yeah. It will not work in any place that, you know, votes blue regularly. If Possibly you're in a even any major city. Cause I think any major city yeah. is, is, has their own establishment, their own powers, whether they're blue or not, they're, they're blue in a sense, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's, yeah. You know, but again, that's like one of the best parts is that, okay, well now we're going to be stealing businesses from the Democrats too, which is you know, great. <laughs> It's like, yeah, good, fuck them. And so the, uh, yeah, I'm all for that. You know, again, reward your friends and punish your enemies. I'm sh- yeah, I get pushed back on that one too. But, you know, hey, that's how liberty is done. You know, like liberty happens when good people have power. That's just how that works. There's no getting rid of it. Let's get it more into the punish your enemies part. Because that is, <laughs> like you said, that's the part you get pushed back on. That's the, lo- that's yeah. the part where people say, oh, a- Andrew's this little fascist here coming up and wants to, inf- wants to beat down his enemies in the street. So let's be specific. Absolutely. How, does, how can you use the anti-tax to punish, define the enemies and define the punishment? Let, let's get out exactly what you mean when you say that so, so we don't just get the... Uh... There's, a, you know, there's several ways you could, you could do it because, uh, you know, you know, and that is consistent with a libertarian principle and libertarian ethic. So the idea that you would, uh, that, you know, as libertarians, you know, we believe that all taxes are basically equivalent because they are all just, you know, equally distortions of the market. Some are substantially worse than others, like in their social ramifications, like income tax versus a spending tax, you know, income tax incentivizes people to just not be productive at all. And, you know, which is like very contrary, it's far more contrary to human nature than like a spending tax, which is something people don't really want to spend. They don't really want to do that. You know, they like to have savings and, and some sort of buffer, you know, it helps them with their anxiety and all that to have a, a nice spending buffer or something like that. But, well, what, you know, because so if what if all taxes are equivalent, effectively equivalent, though, you know, what, what I were, they're at least equivalently distorting. What I would do is say that, all right, well, okay, you know, they, let, let's find out first where is the enemy and how do we punish them. So what I would propose is that well, since you know lefties tend to really like urban areas, and I you know again population density is like the like the number one predictor of left leftism. You know more than any other is like like where you live geographically in that urban density is the number one predictor because that's that mindset. You're all on top of each other. You have to, you do not have space. You cannot trust each other. And this and tracks get, everywhere you go. I mean, even I spent three months living in Mexico city. I, I don't think they have, I don't think Mexico is the same. It was same concepts of blue and red as we do. But as far as I'm concerned, it's the bluest damn city I've ever been because everywhere I went, I saw a mask. 
mandate or no mask 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 it, it felt like the bluest place i could ever imagine being yeah it's a function of human nature like and uh I mean, you even like go back and see the stuff in the bible but yeah well, we, won't, we won't go there right now but like this is old this is like a fun this is everywhere you look any kind you look that could be a two-hour deep dive ur- on its own so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll let urban it areas are always the, yeah urban areas are always like the lefty secular ones mm-hmm. so like you know so we can use that to our advantage especially with a prop uh, with a property tax so you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I advocate what I call a, a progressive tax. You know, progressive taxation. By that, I mean taxing progressives, because of course. <laughs> and, uh, you said you wanted the, progressive uh, taxation. You said we wanted to teach socialism. <laughs> I'm giving you what you wanted, everybody. Yep, yeah, give the people what they voted for. Exactly. They they voted to raise taxes, and I raised their taxes. Of course, <laughs> they voted for it. And the but uh, so what I would do is a population density tax. Uh, you know, in the property tax, I would make the property tax progressive in the sense that it progresses upward based on how, how uh, dense your population area is. And, the, uh, and because it's progressive, you know, the, uh, that means the other side is lower. So I would say that uh, the, so not only can I use the anti-tax to substitute for taxation, I can also just move the other taxation to the, to the left. How would you get that implemented in a high-density area? Like, well, how would a high-density high area... I would do it at the state level, at the at the state at the uh, state red level. You know, I would say that okay. So the state has its own. The state of Florida has its own uh, state property tax, and there's a county, a separate county property tax, and there and a state uh, and a separate municipal property tax. So at uh, so you couldn't do it at the municipal and or county level, but you could do it at the state level, where you said that all right, my uh, state income tax, or my state income tax, or my state uh, property tax, these are going to be progressive now, and they're going to progress based on population density. The more of an urban area you live in, the higher your taxes are going to be. The more uh, suburban and rural you are, the less it's going to be. And so the idea is that so not only are you are you like taking the uh, not only are you taking like the the bottom line up, you're taking the top line down. Which, which actually somewhat tracks because if you're living in a big city, that is where you're using all the stuff. You know the the public transportation, exactly. the, the, the 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 whatever it may be. Um, whereas if you are living out in the country, like you're probably just providing pretty much for yourself anyway. Yeah, I mean you don't need the state. You know they're they're not there. You're not using the services, and people should pay for what they're using and. But more, but more importantly, our enemies should be poorer than we are. <laughs> and yeah, you know, because again, yeah, you know, wealth is power. You know, it, you know, wealth buys you power. Wealth buys you influence. And the uh, and so if our enemies are wealthy and they're doing gr- and they're doing great, you have to understand these people are predators. They're not just producers; they are predators too. And they will use their production to fund their predation. And so. You, so in order to really take power away from them, you need to te- you know to like. They physically take like like they cannot be allowed to like get wealthy. They cannot because that's power that they will necessarily use against us. And there, and this is not like some theoretical thing. Again, we all live through uh, you know COVID in twenty twenty. So this is not like theoretical anymore. This is happening, and it's been happening for like hundreds of years. But like now, it's like just completely undeniable that you know the the left really wants control. They want power in a way the right simply doesn't. And the, uh, you know, this is what, I, you know, again, what I call a high time preference for power is that, you know, they are, you know, wanting to like basically squander the resources of civilization on predation. They think that, you know, the government should basically control everything. And they look forward to the day when we're all wearing gunny suits and saluting dear leader. And, you know, the right kind of just wants to be left alone. 
and they just want to kind of live their life the way they do and raise their ch- their kids the way they want to raise them. And the left isn't even you know willing to let them do that because now the left is like, oh, we want to uh, you know teach your kids to be like gay and transsexual and you know and hate white people. Mm. And as like they can't, they're not even allowed to raise their own kids anymore. And so the so I would just you know take I take one look at this like the right does not get they do not want that kind of power over me. The left clearly does. I can and I can separate between right, right and left. And I just want to say, hey, let's punish them. Let's move the the taxes that the right has been paying to the left, and which is what they were voting for. Because the right wants to vote for lower taxes. They want to vote for just. They, I mean, in in their minds, you know, when they say they're voting for small government, they they think they're they're voting for. Uh, just you know, like, like a, defending your natural rights. That a small government is all you need for, uh, you know, defending natural rights. In reality, they're voting for the biggest government in history because when you restrain the government, you necessarily grow the government. That, that the uh, we had the biggest uh, government in human history, not because the constitution failed, but because it worked. That which is the other is the, the bitter irony of it. That the more you uh, restrain the government, the less predation it's able to do. You are necessarily leaving more for the people who are producers and are who are going to be productive with it. That grows the pie. Yeah, you know, that grows the, the amount of tax revenue that the state can collect. And because of you know you're growing the amount of tax revenue the state can collect, now you have a much more powerful state. Yeah. You know, so in restraining the government, you actually make the government substantially bigger and you know, substantially more powerful. What would you say to like uh what would you say to libertarians like you know out there like living in a big city or they own an apartment and they say Andrew why, why you got to come in and rain on my parade like I'm a libertarian I, I like living in the city why why do you want to tax me more uh you know hey you know that say uh, that sounds like your problem man uh you know I, it's like I got my people I got my tribe all of us are voting for paying less and all of you except you <laughs> are like basically everyone except you where you live is like voting to be my enemy and to tax me. And I don't see why that my people and me and my people should have to live in a way we really don't want to, you know, because, uh, you know, you, like basically your people minus you are, uh, you know, are imposing, you know, your ways upon us. It's the cities imposing their urban ways on on the uh, on the suburbs and on the rural areas. Pretty much, pretty much every state works this way in some way, shape, or form. Where the big cities leech off and abuse the the rest of the state. Yeah, and my thought is, you know, uh, I I just don't, I don't believe in that. And you know, sorry if you get caught up in it, but whoops, you know, I, I suppose you have the right to defend yourself, or you know, from the tax man, or you have the the right to move. And I recommend moving. But yes, I just, I, you know, I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a rural uh, supremacist. I believe, you know, I believe in the, co- <laughs> I believe in the country. I, I look down on cities. I think they're third world liberal shitholes. And, you know, so I, you know, I, I do not believe in, in urbanization at all. So, you know, it's like, I, I don't really want to, I don't want to impose my ways on other people. If they want to live in a city, that's fine. But, you know, I have to defend myself and this is how I'm going to do that. And, but, and, but of course, if you want to move here with me and uh, you know take part in the anti-tax, that'd be great. You know, then you can pay no taxes. Uh, I also heard you like when you discussed this with uh, Pete and Dave a few months ago. Um, I, I know one thing you were talking about too is like utilizing this anti-tax to not just on like population density, but also like on certain behaviors, like progressive behaviors or actions. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Oh, uh, so the. Uh, the idea, like, you know, one of the ideas I came up with a while back was, you know, what if you, uh, 
like, what do you do about censorship? You know, like big tech censorship. Well, the, uh, I would love to have this fight in the Supreme Court where, where, hey, what if we tried, because right now you have like Section 230 that does not allow you to, uh, uh, you know, d- doesn't allow you to, you know, the states to like regulate the big tech companies or whatever. Well, I didn't say anything about taxing them. And so the idea I, I thought of was, well, okay, the Supreme Court has held repeatedly that the power to tax is virtually unlimited, not entirely unlimited, but virtually unlimited. And to, so I was thinking, you know, what if every time they remove a co- that Twitter removes a comment on Twitter for political reasons, well, well, what if there was a $5 fine on that and they're removing a few million of them a day? I can see how that's going to go. <laughs> and, you know, what if every time they ban a profile, like, uh, you know, we, we uh, you know, penalize them, you know, like a dollar per follower or something like that. And uh, so every time they remove, uh, if they remove Donald Trump, you know, it's a hundred million dollar fine. Yeah, hundred million followers or, some, or something like that, maybe in the future. So what, what's your response to, but Andrew, these are private companies and you're just advocating statism. You're no better than someone on the left advocating a preference that they want be enforced by the state. Very true, unless I have an anti-tax, because if I have an anti-tax, then I'm basic. All I'm doing is collecting taxes ahead of time. So it'd be the same because this thing works based on compounding interest and this thing grows across time to substitute for taxation. That this thing is a this is not a uh, this is not an additional tax. This is a substitution tax. So by so by applying all of that revenue that I would get from like, you know, from uh, taxing big tech and on their censorship, on their acts of censorship, which are you know, clearly bad for society, you know, what, you know, and by funneling all of that money into the anti-tax, all I'm really doing is collecting taxes ahead of time. And I'm speeding up the process by which taxation becomes obsolete. And because all of it, you know, it's like collecting two years of taxes in one year and then not collecting any in the next year. That's all I did. All right. I want to take a question real quick because I did right before we we kind of whipped this show together on, on the fly. So I posted real quick in the, the Lions Liberty Pride, our Patreon Facebook group, see if there's any questions. And we were talking about this for the show. Facebook is so frustrating. It says there's there's a few questions. I can only see one. So I don't know if, what's going on, but I'll read the one I can see. Another reason to, to find these assholes. Should, you should find them every time they, they hide comments from me. So sorry for whoever, whoever's comments were hidden, but Kevin asks, he says, the biggest complaint with the, the LPMC, the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, is that they don't actually have any plans to get people elected. So what are your tangible plans to leverage GOPMC to get liberty-minded GOP candidates into office? Basically, it, it's why why, you know, why is your plan, which also hasn't happened yet, any more fantastical than the plans of those in the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus to you know do the same thing in their local municipalities? Uh, the, the the main difference would be that uh, you know for like there are partisan elections and the local governments that are you know you would have to you know run as a Republican for. And again, if you know if I'm looking to you know make these uh, these uh, things partisan, if I'm looking to you know, put numbers next to the na- next to the names that actually tell people real things. You know, tell people real information. Then you know, necessarily, I'm going to be want to be with a bigger party. Be you know, because the uh, you know, there's you know, again, there are elections like school board and all that where you need to be a Republican to get elected. Usually, there sometimes they're nonpartisan, but you know, usually they're partisan elections. And the and if I want to go at like state level, eventually, I'm going to have to build my way up there, but. Eventually, I'd like to you know, run people for state office and all that. The thing I'd re- you know, I really would want to do is you know, have people in the, Demo- in the uh, Republican Party, 
again, like Faux Bishop, because once you have this platform that where you are elected, now you need to go turn to the people in order to really exercise your power against the good old boys club. You need to be able to pivot and, and talk to the, like, to the Republican base and you know, pull Andrew Jackson's and Ron DeSantis's on, and Trump's on people. Because that, that was their, the, the, that's the power of your, of your Faux Bishop model, which is that you pivot to the people and get all of them behind you. And you can't do that if you're wearing the enemy flag. Like, and, and make no mistake, when you're wearing the Libertarian Party flag, you might as well be wearing the Democrat Party flag. Not because, not because they're, you know, they're like a whole bunch of, it's like a leftist haven. But yeah, it is, but that's not the reason why. The reason why is that democracy is a perpetual civil war. And when you're saying that, you know, you need to be on my team, you know, you're saying that, you know, you need to be on my side of the, in the civil war. So when you're arguing for a third party, you are necessarily arguing, <clears throat> you know, for having the smaller army, the smaller, weaker army in a civil war. <laughs> it's like, this is not the position you really want to be in. And by, by the same token, the Democrats are, are going to look at the libertarians and say, oh, these GOP assholes. So it's like, you almost yeah. can't win. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it's like, who are you going to pivot to? How are you going to exercise your power once you have it? Because it's not enough to, to just formally have power. You, know, you actually need to be able to use it and marshal it. And the way you do that is by getting people on your side. And you have to be able to do what Thoe Bishop does, which is, hey, I got, I'm a Republican. I have the American flag on my lapel. And you know, and I'm you know, clearly a right winger who's like very educated and really wants to fight. And the and people really love that, even if they don't agree with you entirely. Like, like take Ron Paul. Like most of people who like voted for him, they did not agree with him on everything, and they really respected him because of like, okay, this man has principles and he will fight. Oh, and he and delivered my baby my too. So yeah, doesn't hurt. Well, I mean, not not even that many. You know, it's, it's like the, I mean, it's a seven hundred fifty thousand uh, person district. He did not deliver that many, and. uh I really think that part gets overblown. I really think it's because you know the Texas 14 district, which is like where I live. This is a very right wing district. I mean, this is like a 15 point Republican district, and you know the and so this is going to go Republican no matter what. Like this is a hardcore right district, and Ron Paul comes across as like Baptist Christian, like really right, like really right wing means it, and he's and he will fight, and he I think he's scrappy, and so. Voters will see stuff like that, and this is the like the Andrew Jackson effect. This is the Faux Bishop effect, where they, where you know, Anthony Sabatini, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, when they see fighters, like even if they don't agree with him all the way, and you know, Donald Trump was famous for for this. Was like, yeah, he's kind of an asshole, but you know what, he it works. <laughs> you know, that's like, it's like they they do they do not have to agree with you. That's like kind of the, the magic. This is my my ace in the hole for uh, against the LPFC. People do not have to agree with who to vote for you. I don't think I've ever met a Trump supporter who said, like, I think Donald Trump is a great guy and I agree with everything. I think he's fucking. I know most of them say, I actually don't really like the guy. I think he's kind of a scumbag and I don't really agree with yeah. half what he says, but goddamn, does he fight? Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, oh, yeah. Big, that was a big, big thing for like the evangelicals was like, you like, yeah, he's like a philandering uh, adulterer and he's kind of a scumbag. He's definitely not a Christian at all. And, you know, but hey, he doesn't want me and my culture eradicated from the face of the earth like the Democrats do. And he's willing to fight on my behalf, you know, even though he doesn't agree with me on, you know, certainly Christianity. And, uh, you know, but that was like a really, really big thing. And they will like absolutely and they would like die for him, basically, just because he would fight for them and they had nobody else to fight for them. 
So this is and this is like the and then this is the appeal of an Anthony Sabatini, a Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, or a Phil Bishop, or Andrew Jackson, because the uh, you know because these are people who will fight for you, and in a civil war, that's exactly what you need. And so when you are saying that I don't want you, like when you're running as a libertarian, what you are telling these people who would otherwise vote for you is that I don't want to fight for you. I'm not on your team. I'm on team enemy. And I'm going to be fighting against you because I think you're wrong. And I think your team is wrong. And to them, that spells defeat. And they, like, they don't want to, they do not want to listen to you. They want to defeat you. And so I like, like in like New Hampshire, this happened a, a repeatedly where, uh, like libertarians would run as Republicans, and then once they got elected, they would switch their party label. Like, haha, I tricked you! I'm a libertarian, and next election they lost. And they're gone, yeah, because then everybody says, "What yeah. the fuck? You, tr- you tricked me! We've it's like, you lied to me. You're team enemy." And and so the uh, and and by the way, it's like this also happened in New, in New Hampshire, where like they had that one sheriff uh, race where it was like it was like some trans Satanist ran as a Republican and won. It's like it's like because people just not, not even checking. They yeah, like not only do they not have to agree with you, they don't even have to know what you believe at all. Yeah. It's like so it doesn't matter. It's like the fact that you that they disagree with you does not matter in, in terms of giving you power. That that's really yeah. what it is. If you're willing to fight for for them on anything, you know that that, that like remotely smells of Republican or smells of conservative, they'll vote for you. As like and like again, you see this like with Donald Trump and. Like you saw this with Andrew Jackson, you see this with uh, like Ron Paul. People don't have to agree with you to vote to vote for you. This is like the the, the an unanswerable argument. The LP, the LPMC guys do not have a response for this. That uh, people that they're more than willing to give you power repeatedly, as, as long as you'll even kind of fight for them. So, so maybe that's really the the problem with the strategy of. Let me beat everyone over, over the head with the ideas of liberty, the ideas with my philosophy, and 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 just make sure that no matter what, I prove to them I'm right. Well, then first they see you're, all you're doing is trying to prove yourself right, but then they also see, well, this guy's not fighting for me. This guy just wants to prove himself right to me. He's not a fighter, so of course that, that isn't going to work. He's not fighting for me. He's fighting me. <laughs> As it, it's a really gigantic distinction. And he won't even listen to me until I, I promise to read this human action book. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, it was just like a, 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 a what was it? Like a six or 700 page tome. I, I have an edition, a physical edition that's over a thousand pages. I don't know if that one might include some other addendums or something, yeah. but it, yeah, it's been a long time since I read it, but you know, it's, I, I remember it being really long. It's very long. Yeah. And so like Maricomi and state, that thing was like a, that thing's like a thousand. You know, that thing was a fucking call. Well, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I might be thinking of the Man Economy and State Thousand Pager that I, that I have. Yeah. But yeah, and, uh, you know, I've read that too. But the, uh, but yeah, so like, you know, in, but even if you were to get elected in a nonpartisan race, you still need to be able to pivot to the people in order to get them behind you so that you can, uh, you know, beat the good old boys club. And which definitely exists everywhere. And, you know, so the, uh, so like, even if you get power, you're not going to be able to use it as a libertarian because you don't have that ability to pivot to the people. And so like, there is no way for them to get power. Whereas like with me, you know, again, I told you it was, it was like, you know, you know, one to 3000 bucks, usually somewhere around two buys you a seat. And, you know, and yeah, MisesGOP.org forward slash donate. If you want to, you know, help us donate monthly, what we want to do is be raising about like five bucks a month. You know, in order to like, you know, raise like enough to fund like five elections, you know, worth like a Buck Johnson, you know. And so when you add that up over, you know, a 24 month cycle, you're talking well over 100, 
uh, libertarians uh, an election cycle that we could elect and start getting this getting this ball of the anti-tax and all these other local policies running. Because I, you know, I really want a full-blown private law society. I think that's something that gets lost a lot, is that, you know, when I'm saying, hey, we need to, you know, like use this, yeah, but when like we need to use the state that we have because that's we just got to play the card we're dealt. But we understand like the goal is a private law society, like in the Rothbard and Hopkins sense, late Rothbard, not your not early Rothbard, but late Rothbard and uh, you know in the Hopkins sense, like I want a private law society that's that, and this is the way I see of getting to that, to where you know we're gonna have to you know, we have to push that back, we have to start privatizing stuff, we have to start you know, we have to start somewhere. And this, and this, you know, you know, and I think if, if we had been doing this for, you know, an, even the last twenty years, twenty twenty wouldn't have happened. This would have been a very di- if we like, like and I asked this question to Dave Smith when I when I uh, you know kind of debated him. It wasn't a debate, but he seemed to want to make it a, a, a debate. But you know, I asked him this question: like, would you rather? That's have- my fault. I've trained Dave that anytime two people are on a show together, it's a debate. Yeah. So, uh, you can blame that on me. <laughs> Sure. But uh, anyway, the, the, my question to him was, would you rather, you know, like you're saying you want to run and spread the message uh, as the libertarian you know, president and, you know, and have this new Ron Paul movement, et cetera, et cetera. I'll just give you that because you know, like you're a brilliant communicator, by far the best communicator in the movement. So what if, you know, like, let, let's say you converted, you know, a million people to like way more than Ron Paul. Ron Paul was like in the like hundreds of thousands, you know. Like what? Like what if you convert you converted in what you know a million new people to uh like liber- you know like the Misesian libertarianism? So we're not not even the Cato stuff, stuff like the you know the the, the Mises type. So what if you, you know, would you prefer that or would you prefer to have ten thousand Misesian mayors? And you know, as like like again, nineteen thousand five hundred municipalities in the United States. Let's say we ha- had uh, you know like ten thousand of them were hardcore Misesian mayors. Would you rather have one that or a, or a million? Where, you know, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. You could theoretically have both. Which would you prefer? And he and he gave the same answer I did. That yeah, I'd rather have the I'd rather have that power because you know twenty twenty does not happen. You know, if you have ten thousand you know like like hardcore Mises caucus mayors, twenty twenty doesn't happen. Like that is not a thing. This is a radically different country. You know, with just that, and that's just the, just the, the uh, mayor. That doesn't count the rest of the city council. That doesn't count the the county officials or the or the state level representatives or the governors. But even just like ten thousand Misesian mayors, this is a very different country. And like they, they, this, they, 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 we have way lower taxes, way lower re- uh, regulations, way lower uh, go- you know, government in positions of every kind. Because you know now we and we like and we control the cops. So guess what? You know, another thing I wanted to do was uh, like a backdoor repeal of a civil asset forfeiture because like the way the laws are written right now that if you uh, want to get your, uh, you know, your property back from them, you know, they have to fund you a certain amount of money that's usually like really, lo- like really low, like 500 bucks or something like that. Well, how about we raise that to 10,000 bucks? And so that because, you know, so like, I mean, it's, it's not a full repeal. I'd love to get rid of just, just get rid of it altogether. But, you know, I have to recognize what's possible. So if I can just you know, like get my one libertarian mayor in there who says, hey, these are other people's property. We, we really shouldn't be taking it from them if they haven't been convicted. So we don't want to, have, you know, just like get rid of this process because, you know, I mean, maybe maybe the cops could use it for a good reason. Maybe that's why I, I think it's nebulous. But, 
you know, convincing other people of this is going to be a little bit more difficult because everyone's scared of drug dealers. They think they're bad guys. And but we say, okay, well, what if they're really not drug dealers? We need to have some way to make sure that the property really does get back to them. So instead of five hundred, we're going to just going to make the number ten thousand because that incentivizes the, the the local government and the cops to just hand it back to them without, without any sort of fighting. Because if they if they fight them for it, then they have to pay them ten thousand dollars, and that's just not. And because they, they didn't, they probably didn't uh, collect that much money from the drug dealers or whatever, or the alleged drug dealers, I should say, who were like not convicted or whatever. And the uh, and you can do stuff like that, you know, where, where you just have if you just use your cleverness as and you use your charisma, you get the people behind you, and you you can make reasonable changes that have massive impacts. You know, the, that like like just like that, you don't even need to get rid of civil asset forfeiture. You just make sure that people can get their property back, and you and you've effectively repealed it. And there's all kinds of things that we can do like that from the local level. If we had 10,000 uh, like hardcore Mises Caucus mayors, GOP Mises Caucus mayors, I should say, you know, like this is a very, very different country. And that's what I'm raising money for right now. And again, I, I, you know, if you help me, I, I want to get to at least like be able to like five bucks a month. <laughs> and uh, that, 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 yeah, that, that's going to be my, that's going to be my, my, my little uh, slogan or whatever, five bucks. <laughs> Like uh, you imagine, like 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 him posing with like five dozen. But yeah, anyway, we can radically change this country. It's like, and you know, I'm here as a you know as a nominally libertarian, you know, like not a post libertarian, but a praxian to like get to, to like get this ball rolling the way it should have been for the last twenty years. Because if we've been electing these guys for like the last twenty years, like this is a, you know like the wars don't happen, the you know the police state doesn't happen. You know, the COVID tyranny doesn't happen, et cetera, et cetera. Like, this is a completely different history that would have happened if we just started back then when Hoppe came out with this, I- with this idea. Because the- a lot of these aren't even, uh, the anti-tax is an original idea. Archipropism is an original idea. Uh, like, what must be done and privatization, you know, all this, like, privatization stuff, that's all Hoppe. He, he-, he did this in 1997. I mean, it's a, a beautiful 50-minute speech he gives on this about how we how we need to go about implementing these ideas and getting to a private law society and you know he did this in 1997 you know that is 25 years ago if we'd started back then this would be a radically different country then the fact we're just starting now i think is a tragedy like this the entire history we've been through was avoidable what happened the last two years it's gonna happen again or, or at least they're going to try it again. You know, they're going to try to do the same thing and way worse. So climate change is up next. Yeah, so I certainly hope that there's at least something in place locally for for certain people. It won't be for everybody. So you know, if you're in the blue city, you're probably done no matter what. But this is why I, I have yeah. these conversations with people like you, with anybody. I don't know if your ideas will work, but they're ideas and they they at least have a pathway forward. I see other ideas that I I, I like the spirit behind, but it, it I don't see the end goal. I don't actually see it. So, you know, it, it can be debated all yes. day whether your ideas are going to work or make sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, oh, it'll work. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> I know you think it'll work. Yeah. We've got, we, have the, we have the historical evidence that this works. You know, we, again, you know, this is like the, the, the faux bishop, Andrew Jackson, you know, Ron Paul. All the uh, the same exact model every single time it works. You know, it's not really a question of does it work, does it work or will it work. It works, and all all we need to do is fund it. And again, you, if you go to MisesGOP.org for slash donate, you can help us. You know, by by just even five bucks a month, you can help us uh, eventually eventually get to five electing five bucks a month, or at least every two years. You know, two hundred every uh, every two years. So that's my pitch to uh, the uh, the Lions of Liberty. If you please help, I really appreciate it.
All right. So uh, before I drop you off, why don't you just let everybody know all the places they can either reach out to you to, to discuss it more or donate directly, whatever it may be. Well, you can uh, find me at, uh, you know, at popular liberty underscore on Twitter. You see my uh, handle right there. You can find me at, you know, at just uh, if you just look up popular liberty and Asarchus, you should find plenty of, uh, <laughs> plenty of guys. You should find them easily. <laughs> yeah. Blocked him today, but, uh, oh, well, well, uh so no more of that. Dialogue, so, oh, well. but yeah, we, we will, uh, yeah. So no more of that. No, that's too stressful. For people. Someone else must pick up the mantle of arguing with Ace. <laughs> yeah. Someone else is going to have to do that. But the, uh, but yeah, if you can find me at popular liberty on YouTube, and if you want to see like my deep writings, they are free on my subscribe star at subscribestar.com forward slash, uh, popular dash liberty. You can see all of my writing there on acrotrophism and on the, and a little bit on the anti-tax and, uh, and you know, those are much more detailed explanations of my concepts. All right. Andrew, popular liberty. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. I know you will. Roar. All right, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with good old Andrew from Popular Liberty uh, on the trend of people I've met in real life get to be on the show. That really is, that's kind of my, my new standard, <laughs> I, I, I guess. Not literally, uh, and there, obviously, I mean, last week's guest, Jay Dyer, I've never met in real life, but I mean, it's, it's just a simple fact. You meet someone in real life, the odds of them being on my show are just so much higher. And uh, next week's guest, Brett Lindell, I also got to meet in real life when I was traveling through Florida, but you know, I, I present Andrew's case today because I want the case to be made from anybody who has a plan to do something locally. That is really the important thing here because I really have come to understand that the most important politics are the local politics. The most important thing in your life is your community, the people that are directly around you. And whether you agree with his strategy or not, or whether you think it's a good idea, or whether you think it will work, his strategy is quite obviously not take over the National Republican Party. Now, of course, I think we would all love if the National Republican Party or the National Any Party was more in favor of the ideas of liberty, was more in favor of individual rights, of individual whatever the fuck. <laughs> but what I'm more interested in is presenting ways that people might be able to take a little more charge of their own lives, their own community, and improve their own situation. So glad to have Andrew on to talk about that. And I'm excited to have Brett Lindell on next week to be discussing some other ways that he has done similar things in his own community. That's all I got, my friends. Until next time, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast feed, Lions of Liberty with Mark Clare, as well as or in addition to whatever you prefer, the Lions of Liberty Network feed where you find all of our programs, including Brian's new, brand new, Mean Age Daydream, and John Odermatt's amazing, and I do mean amazing, especially with his last couple episodes with John Ziegler and the fake Jerry Sandusky accuser. And if you believe one second of the Sandusky narrative, I'm just going to say you obviously either have not listened to John's interviews with John Ziegler or... Or I've even spent 10 seconds looking at that case. Because, especially in the context of nowadays, it's so easy to see the parallels between the COVID narrative, the acceptance 
the mass hysteria related to reporting on certain situations and the separation from reality that they have. And John has done incredible work highlighting that with a lot of the interviews he has done regarding the Sandusky case. So I think it has actually more relevance now, all these years later, more relevance than it ever has had before. So be sure to check out those interviews on Finding Freedom. Check out everything we have to offer here at the Lions of Liberty Network. That's all I've got this week. I'll see you next week, my friends. Until then, of course, live long and live free and live free and live free and live free and live free.